Bridge Over Troubled Waters was founded in 1970 to serve runaway, homeless, and high-risk youth, most of whom have been abused and neglected throughout their lives. The agency was among the first in the nation to recognize and respond to the growing population of homeless youth, a phenomenon which was to become a national issue. For 46 years, Bridge has been a national model and program innovator for youth development services, reaching youth where they're at, helping them overcome the effects of abuse and neglect, and assisting them to prepare for and attain training, jobs, and economic security. Today, as the premier agency in Boston serving homeless youth, Bridge provides its wraparound, continuum of care approach to services for 3,000 youth a year. Join us at the Bridge to the Future event on Thursday, November 3rd at the Outlook Kitchen and Bar in the Envoy Hotel. We'll be raising money to help Bridge youth become independent and successful, all part of the National Homeless Youth Awareness Month. To purchase tickets, go to www.bridgeotw.org or go to abovethebasement.com and click on the Charitable Causes page. Indian Hill Music is a thriving non-profit regional center for music education and performance whose mission is to share the transformative power of music through teaching and performing and giving music generously when there is a need. IHM's music school serves students of all ages, abilities, and backgrounds with an outstanding faculty of teaching artists. Their performance season features the acclaimed professional orchestra of Indian Hill and concerts by music school faculty, orchestra musicians, and acclaimed guest artists. For more information about Indian Hill's outreach programming, concerts, and music education, go to www www.indianhillmusic.org
Hello, everyone. This is Chuck Clow from Above the Basement, Boston Music and Conversation. You just heard an arrangement of the Candide Overture by Bernstein, performed by Vento Chiaro Woodwind Quintet with flutist Ona Yonatite. Ona is a fantastic player and teacher and a member of that quintet. She has also performed with the Boston Symphony Orchestra, Detroit Symphony, New World Symphony, the Boston Lyric Opera, Lithuanian Opera, and Ballet Theater Orchestra. A graduate of the Boston Conservatory, she has also studied in France at the Lyon National Conservatory of music and dance, and received her master's at the Lithuanian Academy of Music and Theater. Halfway through our sit-down with Ona, you will hear Chacon by Johann Sebastian Bach from Violin Partita No. 2 in D minor. And after the conversation, Ona performs two pieces from the French composer Ferreau. So here's our conversation with Ona, recorded at Woods Hill Table in Concord, Massachusetts. Ona. Hello. Hi. Labas. Labas. Labas vakaras. Labas vakas. Chuck, that what did means you just say? that means Chuck is really funny. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's not funny. No, it means hi. How are you? Yes, right? it means hi. Oh, just hi. <laughs> and labas vakaras means good evening. Oh, labas vakas. And the, isn't there labas kepsakas? Kepsakas means how are you doing? Hey, what's going on? Yeah, what's like going on? And what about labas costanza? Was that? Mean? <laughs> That mean anything? Not Lithuania. Oh, okay. <laughs> she arrived here after uh, ten years after Seinfeld, Seinfeld ended. Okay. Well, those repeats. Oh, oh, stand. Oh, that's right. <laughs> but but hello, and we're so excited you're here. You know, it's funny because the last time I saw you was across the table at dinner in Lithuania, and I remember we were talking about sort of Vilnius and Boston, this whole connection, mm-hmm. and and of course a lot about music and the fact that we're you know friends of mine like Chuck and others are more from the rock pop jazz world right Mm -hmm. but what a treat it was to sort of connect with the classical world and not only that but to connect you know across the ocean so Mm -hmm. anyway welcome thank you so much very cool Indeed it is. It's cool to be here. I think that having having you here and talking about what you do and you know, we know that you teach, we know that you played in, in orchestras and in quintet as well. And at Indian Hill, which is out in Littleton, which is sort of a neighbor of ours out here, and a very cool school, very special school. You mentioned something that I thought was a really great question about her, you know, where she's from, from Lithuania, and the connection to Boston. I think that, I mean, that's a, oh, that's right. a, that's a cool... It wasn't know. just the pronunciation of her name. No, it wasn't just the pronunciation, which we'll butcher, I'm yeah. sure. But <laughs> Yona Leite. Oh, I wow. like that. That's so wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I like it, but it's so wrong. It's still wrong. So the way, the way again. So circling back, the way that we met through the sort of Boston Vilnius connection was through the. I'll put it as masterclass mm-hmm. over the last several years with the conservatory gang going over to Vilnius and teaching students. And sort of that's how I think you started to connect. Interestingly, through Boston, but yet you know, yet your background is obviously back in Lithuania. Mm-hmm. So that's how. You, that's how you started to work with that group? Yeah, so I got to know Aglia from <coughs> Boston Conservatory, right? Because she went there, she studied there as I did as well. And uh, she had this great idea of starting festival in Lithuania. And she gathered lots of strengths and put it all together. And it has been going very well for five years. And 
she invited me to join the group and teach there, which I was so happy to do because to go back as a teacher, you know, back to Lithuania where I grew up, where I learned to play the flute, it was yeah. such a treat. And to see those kids learn and uh, be able to help them was so, so, so wonderful. Yeah, because what, I mean, you know, it's, it's it, a lot of the people from the conservatory go over and they have this amazing experience teaching kids mm-hmm. from a different country. To have that sort of connection to your homeland is pretty cool. It, it was for me too, you know, to be there and, and see Agla doing all that magic happen and bringing people from Boston and creating this kind of friendship of musicians between Boston and Lithuania was beautiful. Yeah. Who was who this person? She started this uh, teaching program of the okay. conservatory that is bringing over the musicians mm-hmm. to Lithuania. How did it sort of connect to the hospital environment and playing for kids? Mm-hmm. That, in my understanding, is that it came later? Yeah, it's no? uh, Lisa Wong, Lisa, right? Yeah. yeah, so she was the one who, and Agla who came up with this idea and connected with Children's Hospital. Yeah. And they started bringing in the kids to perform, and uh, then then you guys came in there and did a wonderful presentation about right. neuroscience and music, which is so fabulous. What I think is interesting too is this change that happened in the early '90s mm-hmm. or '90, you know, as well known to your family. Yeah. So you had the end of oppression from the Russians mm-hmm. around 1991, right? Yeah, we declared independence, and right, we said, you know, we want to be free. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so how did that how did that sort of personally affect you as a musician as a person as both as cuz what I hear is that there's sort of a freedom of expression and creativity mm-hmm. that really changed around that time with music. Well, at that time I was kind of still a young kid, right? So for me, no, I could see the changes, but I could not really understand them a lot. And telling the truth, I really thought of all that has happened more thoughts of that started kind of working within my brain when I came to the United States. It was kind of very interesting when I was exposed to this different culture and seeing the freedom of expression, it made me think of what did I experience in Lithuania. And mm-hmm. if you think about that, you're growing up in the environment from the, you know, from early childhood, then you're taught being quiet, do not say things, do not ask questions at school, just pretty much do not exist, right? Because mm. if the, the idea at those times were surviving, mm. and to survive, you need to be invisible. <laughs> so that kind of stayed with me for a long time, right? So yes, and we got independence, and it was wonderful to see how our country just prospered, and so quickly, and, and so many people, you know, would go to different countries and learn things, come back and implement what they've learned back in Lithuania. And you probably mm. saw mm-hmm. it, right? Because yeah, when yeah, you yeah. were there, we're celebrating 25th anniversary of independence, right. right? So I thought it's incredible how Lithuania changed in 25 years. And for me also to go back now and see the young generation behaving and comparing to the way we were was very interesting and kind of sometimes almost painful because I feel like we missed out so mm. much. With the transition. Yeah, with the right. transition. And, of course, uh, lucky for me, I actually I, I saw the transition. I could escape that, you know. I, I, can, I can now create my, my life. But so many people, you know, and even my parents' generation, they st- they've been in that so long that they kind of still, I think, sometimes are living in that mindset probably, mm-hmm. which... But it's changing. It's changing for so much better, and I and I hope that it will, you know, going to that more kind of open-minded 
more of it freedom and, and freedom less acceptance. judgment. Yeah. You know? How often yeah. do you get back to Lithuania? Once a year. And when you came you came to Boston, did you come from Boston for, for school? Yes. I got scholarship for Boston Conservatory. Boston Conservatory. So was Boston, I mean, was that your first time to the United States coming to Boston? Yes. Oh, really? I um, was finishing up my master's and I met musicians from Boston. I mean, they were Lithuanians, but they were studying in Boston and they were spending summer in Lithuania and I kind of got to know them and this girl said you know you should come to to boston i was like yeah sure <laughs> of course what will i do there right because you're thinking boston definitely needs flutists like me right because they don't have already a million <laughs> other great ones and um so i forgot about that and funny story goes that she emails me in december and says hey oh no so i went to boston conservatory admission office to find out that your application is not there so i told them that it's on its way so oh. get to work <laughs> Very good. No pressure. Right? But what a friend. I I like it. What a fantastic woman this is. And so, you know, here (laughs) it is at night. All right. I just checked the website of Boca. I I saw what's what's required for audition. I packed up my flute and my microphone next morning. I recorded it all. And oh my God, I know it was days I was recording with Minidisc, and then you need mm. to transfer it to CD, so you need to send the person who knows how to do that. And within one oh, day, really? all these things, huh. right? To audition. To audition, yes. You so. have to do a tape or whatever. Yeah, need a tape. An A track. And uh, you send it in, and with like what else? Like all the application stuff, right? Asking essays, who I am, what I'm doing, all, yeah. all that kind of stuff, and some uh, recommendation letters, and I send it and. Um, I waited, I waited, thinking, yeah, you know, of course not. <laughs> Why would I? And then I get the email saying, we're happy to tell you that we want you to come here. Yeah. And, and, you know, and then they told me the how much would that cost, right? They give me a small scholarship, but the rest of it would be pretty much impossible given the place where I was living, where, you know, mm-hmm. that, that kind of amount of money for education just was n- even inconceivable for my parents. Sure. So I thanked them and I said, you know, that's incredible. I wish I could do, but that's not something I could ever afford. And lucky for me, next day, I received email from him saying, we have a um, sponsor and we'll give yeah. you full scholarship. Wow. <laughs> that's <laughs> yes, fantastic. It is. I remember, you know, sitting on the chair reading that and thinking, oh, my God, is this really happening? I mean, huh. how is this even possible? Is that a per- like one person that helped uh, out? Or yes, sp- I guess uh, Boston Conservator has, has sponsors. And yeah, yeah. Um, You already had your... I mean, I don't know if, if they call it a bachelor's or over, over. Oh, yeah, over. I had my master's in Lithuania. So I you was already finished. had your so master's. I, I had, so this was. This is ex- uh, continuing education for you, really. Yeah, it was graduate performance master's. diploma, kind yeah, of. Uh, so yeah, you, you have a lot of, I mean, you have the Lithuanian Academy of Music and Theater. Was that before you came to, Bo- to yes, the Boston? Yes, that's correct. So okay. I did my undergrad, my master's there. And then the Lyon National Conservatory of Music and Dance. When, yes. when was that? Well, that was during my first year of master's so the way it works that we would in Europe have um, this exchange program where we would be sent to some school in Europe for a semester and I chose to go to Lyon which I just adored I mean the city was gorgeous and you know it's France and and you know France is known for flute school right like France is known like the place for flutists oh, oh really? yeah that's yeah. where i didn't that, know that oh have you heard of uh rumpal 
flutist. No, he was a yeah. French guy who just made the flute blossom. And <laughs> everyone started writing for, for, for this instrument. And from then on, I mean, even then, flute was made from metal. And Bohm created his system. That's then the flute kind of people understood how much more powerful it became compared to its predecessors that were made from wood and all right. you know different things. So all the expression that you could get from an instrument and all other you know intricate details were fascinating and more and more graduates graduates were uh, produced from you know from France schools and that was really how it blossomed from there well you know what i discovered is that there are several flute makers in boston yes there's a bunch of them here there are yeah <laughs> it's the flute town kind of, which, yeah i know it's like it's kind of crazy it's why I Boston? I don't know, yeah. but I love it. Isn't that fantastic? You, you know, yeah. you, you find so many factories. And I actually, um, I, I was thinking of looking into some new flutes and going through those factories. And I got to tour them and see how instruments are made. And it was so fascinating. You should go to I that. know, we should. It's awesome. That would be pretty cool, actually, you know? to see. It's yeah. You studied with a woman named Linda Toot? Yes. That is an awesome name know, for a, a flute, flute teacher i know and she we're really that. good at rhyming by the way so flute and toot yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i hate you so much but it is <laughs> interesting isn't it it, it is because a lot of some people do go through their careers because and there is something to do with their name mm, indeed. and you know um like i knew a doctor named dr coffin mm-hmm. <laughs> once okay oh, that's a and that, one. <laughs> right he was a cardiologist named oh, dr wow. coffin <laughs> so so we're gonna, okay we're, let's get a little silly now or at least oh. a little more silly oh so more, one more of the silly? one of the things before we get back into some some more serious things doing research on flautists Flutist. or what i like to call a, a fluter chuck always you says ever, flautist does anyone ever call you a fluter they better not they better not okay yeah. well i won't call you that then i prefer flutologist, flutologist? <gasps> i love that yeah. oh thank you oh. you kiss ass Ron. <laughs> Flutologist, totally. Can I? Can I? Not only that? do I have my masters, <laughs> but I'm a flutologist. But so you know, what, rather than me list off these things, I found that there are 13 things that flute players either hate or just something that you hear all the time. Oh, I want to know okay. that. Tell me. Well, I'm, I'm interested to see if you could give me give me like three things that you hear all the time as someone who plays a flute that you get all, you know all the time. See if it matches up with some things that I have here. For example, if someone, someone it says someone is mimics you playing the flute, uh-huh. you're compelled to fix their hands so that they're pre- pretending to do it <laughs> oh, yeah, themselves. You, yeah. you do that? He's like, no, 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 it's not like that. You have to do this. No, hand, I, hand, I this try hand. not to do that. But you know what is funny but to see? You feel like you want to, to see right? sculptures. How many times if oh, you can pick up in, incorrect hand position or even the you know the or the wrong side? That, wrong side. I mean, yes. Interesting. Well, but no, no, in all seriousness, though, in all seriousness, like with guitars, there's left and right guitars. Mm -hmm. Are there left and right flutists? Not that I've ever seen, but I've heard the story, and I don't know how much truth there is. There are always two brothers, um, both great flutists. So the story goes that they would play their duets together, and one guy, you know, one of them would have flute as we play normal (laughs) way, right, to the the right, right, and the other would play to the left. So I but that's just stories, right? I don't know how, how hmm. true those are, but... Well, I've seen guitarists who will turn the guitar <laughs> upside down. They won't change the strings or anything. They just turn it upside down yeah, and they learn how to play yeah, it well, backwards. Yeah, you can turn so it upside you can, down. That's not going to That's not. Well, <laughs> they can kind of flip it the other way and they just have to move their Wait, hands to a different... let me try. Can you do it? No, so I'm, I'm not good enough of flutologist to make it happen, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I don't know, well, but if you started as a kid okay, let and me you see taught if I can them. make it happen. Wait, this is really funny. I wish I could actually see what I'm doing. Oh, it's like, it's like it throwing happen. left-handed. Wait, wait, wait. wait. Was, but this s- is going to be funny. I've never done that. Give me just a second. So right? you take a couple like rock morons. <laughs> 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 
that's as good as I can wow. do. Wow. So, <laughs> so, and there's also something called uh, called black chin. You get black chin. It's where you yes, have. Yes, you do. Yeah. See, I'm, I'm teaching you that about the flute. True. I have so much information about oh, the flute. I'd love, I, I love to hear all the rest of them. So you get that, that, you get that I, little mark. You know, in your sometimes chin from it happens. Sometimes it doesn't. It's it's fascinating. I was wondering why it does it. And from for some flutists, it's more. It's just you practice and all of a sudden you see you get the black well, kind of black black chin. from what like a tarnish I from c- the I can't tell yeah. you silver I, don't know. I would guess it's from the silver is that what the, it is? Uh, but I'm, I've seen people playing golden flutes and it's still black you know okay the, let's go on. I really want to hear all I don't know I don't have all of them some of them you know I, I love the reaction she has because they're all like, "Oh my God, to- absolutely!" Yeah, yeah, yeah okay, yeah. I good. I'm glad. Okay, I su- like I'm glad <laughs> I surprised you. Let's give another one. That's, well, that's, let's that's, give me all of them. I it. must know all of them. That's it. Oh, really? I didn't do all thirteen of them oh. down. I just kind of chose a few. Okay. That Where were. did you find that? It's on the internet. Everything's on the internet. But I guess speaking of sort of learning at a young age, why the flute? Huh, funny question. So I have two older sisters, and um, my mother decided that all of us need to go to music school. So my first sister got to play piano, my second sister got to play violin, and then it came time for me to choose instrument, and then it's like, what is there else? (laughs) And she wanted to give me accordion, but then she asked one of the music teachers, and that teacher looked at me and said, really, accordion to this little creature? No, give her a recorder. (laughs) So so he gave me a recorder, and then I got the shiny pretty flute so so why was it why was it a classical instrument rather than like a guitar or you said your first sister did piano mm-hmm. and you had to choose something different from what your sisters were doing you oh i didn't choose it? i i had no voice in that i was uh. just given an instrument interesting <laughs> right i had no interest in that point i uh. was forced to go to music school i get it so when did you fall in love with the flute then you know funny enough i fall in love first with music and then at that point i think i maybe was about 15 years old when you started the flute uh, no no then oh. i fell Would in you? love with music because at that oh. point i was playing the flute but one thing is playing instrument and the other thing is loving to That's play right. music right I, I remember just listening to some music a lot and what were you listening to well the piece that really did it for me was bach's chacon violin solo chacon and i remember i just listened to that and that's like something completely changed in me my parents came home that day and i said i want to be a musician and from wow, that, that one day piece. on yeah it it, <laughs> it was so powerful i mean bach you know yeah. of course it is so <laughs>
So that piece, and, and then I really started listening to way more music, and I understood oh, how fascinating it was. It just spoke to me, you know, it just made me so happy and reached inside me so deep that I didn't know that it's possible. So then I started practicing music, practicing flute, <laughs> practicing music as well. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully, you know, that's the big goal, right, to play the music, not so much your instrument, I guess, for me, just, you know, one thing is to be a good instrumentalist, but I think the bigger goal is to be a musician, and that's the hardest part. Tell us about that. What is the difference? <sighs> you know, you can you can have perfect technique on your instrument, right? You can play perfectly well, and yet never touch a soul of a human being, because it just does not connect somehow. Mm -hmm. And you tell me, what is it? I don't really know. And yet there are performances, you walk in, and then you walk out, you feel like you have been changed. But that doesn't happen very often, and those are the magical moments. And are those in a quartet, those more so in a larger group, or is that a, can it be a soloist? Oh, absolutely, it can be a soloist. It can be anyone. It can it's be not just anyone. the communication between the musicians that creates that. Th that as well, if it's really high-level orchestra, or, or perform and maybe not necessarily even high level, but I've have heard some people who just you could see that maybe their performance skills are not quite up to the level, but still the music that they're coming somehow through them was touching me and making me understand their feelings that they're putting into the music or maybe how music is speaking through them. And I somehow could connect on that that level with them. So that is the mystery that is fascinating yeah. to me and that I'm trying to figure out how to how to be as good as possible on my instrument so I can really find the way to share that music the way I feel it, the way I want it to be. And, you know, so that's a, mm. that's a battle of every day, I guess. So what's your favorite thing to do? do you, I mean, I know right now you play, or I mean, I don't know, it's hard to tell with the mm -hmm. internet nowadays. I play actually a lot of orchestras and woodwind quintet. I have my woodwind quintet, which okay, is amazing, <laughs> if I may say so myself. And Vento Chiaro. Vento Chiaro. And so that's that's so that's your that's, that's your main passion thing. right now. Right that's now. my family. I call them my family. Oh, it feels fantastic, and actually, it feels great when you when you can connect with all the people with whom you're playing, and especially when you have five people. So it's easier, right, to connect on that kind of friendly human right, yeah. way, and then it's like the Butler Frogs. <laughs> Sorry to ruin the movie. Yeah. Oh no, no. Actually, I wanted to ask about that. But, but yeah, that's five guys. But uh, anyway, so Sorry. Who, who's in the quintet? What's the what's the quintet? Oh uh, well, this is woodwind quintet, which is classical five five musicians. So it's flute, uh, oboe, clarinet, horn, French horn, and bassoon. Oh okay. Yeah. Oh, so you have sort of the whole spectrum of the bass and treble little midsection. Yeah, we do. So when you play, do you find that there's certain certain nights, certain performances that you all connect mm -hmm. or or are there times when it's like one person feels it and the other doesn't or is it, you know what I mean? Yeah, I totally yeah. know what you mean yeah. and that's how it goes. And then you are cut from stage and you think what made it today that it would it just clicked. What does that sound like? Because we come from more of like, there's harmonies, there's improvisation, mm -hmm. there's there's a feel that you get when you know it's on. Mm -hmm. But when you're playing classical music and it's on the page, mm -hmm. there is some type of micro improvisation going on. Mm -hmm. There's a magic there that I that personally I don't understand. Yeah. Well, so I, I mean I don't know if you can sort of describe what that feels like. I guess we call it interpretation, right? Because. So many of us can interpret the same what we see with different ways, right? Different colors, different tempos, maybe different articulation, d d different dynamics and all of that stuff. So here it is. And we're working as five of us. We're trying during our rehearsals to find out what character are we trying to portray with those notes. Of course, we're trying to, you know, reading the score, understanding what is composer trying to say 
and then to find our way of telling that to the audience, right? Because we always, Ventocari really were, were so interested in connecting with the audiences and sharing that musical journey with, with our audience members. So we always try to find what is that music, that piece of music that speaks to us and how can we mm. translate that through our instruments into audience hearts. And uh, so, you know, and it's a lot of work, right? So then we find what works for us in the rehearsal space, then we can really, when we go on stage and we feel like everyone just clicking, it's just somehow every part fits in very well and we get the right character and we get all that just feels like it's flying, you know, which is mm. such a feeling that it's, so it's you don't fantastic. Even need the, you don't even need the audience to be there to have that feeling. But when you do yes. have the audience, if you're translating what that composer is mm. telling you, well, I guess I don't know. I don't know. Do you need the audience there to um, have that feeling? Not necessarily, but I think audience amplifies that. It sometimes mm. makes it even bigger, more joyous. And then you see that more people are getting that feeling from your music. It's, it's something very special. Do you feel when you're playing with an orchestra, when you're playing with a lot mm. of people, there's a disconnect? Do you feel like you're just one of a big mass of people or do you kind of get that same kind no. of feeling sometimes? You know, it's yet again, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes this, like, you can feel the almost rush of that feeling going as if a big wave just swallows you and the whole orchestra is just going for it. And you can see the conductor being in the moment. And that's the power, you know, that's the power. It is so difficult to explain, but then you feel it as a musician. You want more and more, yeah. I guess. It's addictive, right? It's the dopamine. It's it, a dopamine it, of it the is. music. But you know, the funny, the, when I look, when I go to, when I go see a symphony or see the violinists, you know, they're usually in the front there. Mm -hmm. And when I see them playing, I'm wondering, are they, are they having a good time? I can't tell because they're reading the music and they're, <laughs> and they're focused. And I can see that some of them are, just seem a little bit more engaged than <laughs> others. And, you know, just like when we're playing, you know, sometimes we feel engaged, sometimes mm -hmm. you just don't, could be what, what, for whatever reason. So, I mean, I don't know, it's just it's something I, I kind of observe. There's so many people up on stage playing, mm -hmm. and it's different from, like, a rock band where you can jump up and down, and you mm -hmm. can you can physically get into it, mm -hmm. but you don't have that kind of option. It's very cerebral, then. Mm -hmm. It's sort of like, what are they feeling? Is it sort of this right. enjoyment, but concentration, and sort of, you can't, re you're right, you can't see it right. as much. But there's certainly, I mean, there's it's certainly more difficult music mm -hmm. that you're playing so you obviously have to concentrate a little more but i have <laughs> seen i've seen video of you with i don't know if it's the same quintet i think there's actually someone on the piano and you're standing yes are you when you're when you're playing and you're standing and you're playing in front of people are you more reserved you does your body get into it do you, I don't, i'm not saying you're going to turn into jethro tull or anything like that <laughs> oh but that would be interesting yeah i'd like to see <laughs> hop around the stage and that would be interesting <laughs> too but but do you do you find yourself holding back sometimes when you're playing and you really get into it and you're really feeling it uh -huh. or is it just kind of built into you the way you're supposed you to be know, on stage i'm interested to know that interesting so playing an instrument is actually quite a physical activity even sure. if it doesn't look like that right from a from a distance just if you think about uh woodwind players or you know any or brass players for example it seems like we're just sitting there and just what moving our fingers pretty much that's all or, you know or standing right or small muscle athletes but yeah, but then but then think about all the breathing apparatus, right? Because really, if we're wind players, right, we need wind, we need air. And whereas uh, string players, you can see them moving their bow, and that's the movement that kind of creates right the, the music there. So for us, we keep saying that air is our bow. So what is difficult and really takes a lot of time for beginners to learn is how to control your breathing apparatus. So it's all, you know, all these big muscles that actually are involved and... Mm -hmm. And so we are working actually way, way, way harder yeah. than, than um, it looks. 
But talking about kind of holding yourself back, you know, I remember when Lesson and I got so emotionally involved in the music that I was playing and I just, I went for it all like 150% and then I stopped and my teacher, actually, no, no, I didn't stop. I was kind of playing and she kind of, she stood right next to me and she tapped kind of my shoulder and just pushed me just a little back from music stand and said, just step back. And then that was so interesting of learning how to be very involved and yet somewhat reserved so mm-hmm. you can you can let music also do the the talking rather than it's your just emotional right. volcano <laughs> yeah. erupting so it needs to be i guess harmony of that your feelings and composer's music yeah mm-hmm. i mean i don't think there's a wrong answer here like some balance but between some you know you're showing emotion but yet it like you said you you put it perfectly the music does the talking and it can't be stale just sort of coming out of the flute and you're just going through catching every note perfectly but if you don't feel it Mm -hmm. it's probably not going to be translated into the end product yeah i guess so so that that comes to technique right it's what i think then you know your instrument well and you kind of learn which kind of technique is good to use to portray some maybe specific character or mood right so kind of learn all these tools and then then situation calls, you kind of, you use those tools, right? So mm-hmm. you live with the piece, you try to understand the piece, you try to understand how to portray it using all the tools that you have to make it sound as piece of music wants to sound, and yet to fi- add your own voice into that. So that's this balance that is still something I, I'm trying to figure out what is it, and, and it's hard to explain for me. Right, I'm sure that it grows with time too. I mean, mm-hmm. you're a professional, That's true. and but professionals are, you know, I've, I remember talking with Menachem Pressler, mm-hmm. the pianist, who's 92 years old and still touring around. And he would say how he's he practices for hours a day. He's always discovering new things about his technique and about music, I, mm-hmm. and he's 92. I never knew this, but apparently, many many years ago, the classical musicians were improvisationalists. What do you think about that? Is that something you've ever experimented with? Do you have an interest? Do you understand? I think it's you have any fantastic, about? and that's something that I'm fearing. <laughs> Furious? You know, yeah, I'm, no, I'm afraid oh. of it. Oh, it's, afraid it's, of it. It's, yeah. But from what I think, what ha- what has happened was that, as you say, early in music, s- classical music stages, people would do yeah, that. Yeah, like hundreds right? of years ago, I think. They, they right? did, yeah. yeah, and then, you know, they would improvise. And then I think Bach came in and he started, came in, I mean, he was you know, the god of our music, right? Here it goes, he starts writing down all preludes and things, usually what what the musicians would improvise, and he started writing all the down. And I think from my early education, I was told that, you know, improvisational things started kind of declining a little bit. Mm-hmm. And now even if you look at the concertos and romantic cadences, where we usually also the other improvisatory time for, for you know, soloists to showcase their, their skills and their instrument are now written out by the composer. The right? ones that were improv- improvised. So let's say, you know, composer writes a concerto and usually there's at the end of a, of a you know, first or third or second movement, there would be, a moment where you could, as a musician, you know, you, can, you are allowed to take, you know, a few minutes and improvise on the themes of a piece, right? But then composers decided that they want also to write that. Right. So they would write out the cadenzas, and that would be like the part of a piece, and that's how it performed. Where if you would look, for example, we have uh, Mozart concertos, right? And they do not have any cadenzas, but there are plenty of composers who also wrote 
or even you know these days actually do some some flutists do write their own cadenzas which is extraordinary i'm not that brave i tried but that's not something <laughs> i would go on <laughs> public and perform yet but do you write yourself i tried few cadences yeah but that as much as i did unfortunately so i'm very jealous to you guys who go there and improvise i think it's fantastic i don't improvise i well you do with your vocals and with writing music that's an improvisation in and of itself but i know <laughs> yes. what you mean yeah, yeah. but you're, yeah you're right you're not sort of a instrumentalist improvisationalist no. i guess no unless i just make a mistake and then i say i'm improvising <laughs> <laughs> We'd love to have you play a song for us if you would be interested mm. in, in doing that. Sure. Um, I love the two songs, or you sent me a couple of different I did. things this morning. Can you can you sort of like present that a little bit? What what were those two? I listened to the, is it Bernstein? Oh, yeah, Bernstein, yeah. Candide. Oh, that's, that's... And that was Piccolo, right? I played or, some Piccolo in there, too. Yeah, it was flute I, and Piccolo. Yeah, that was some pretty high-range stuff. Oh, you like so, Piccolo. <laughs> and technically, Piccolo is a flute, correct? It means a uh, small flute, yeah. Small flute, see? Genius. So yes. <laughs> um, so w- what about those pieces? So y- that was in what orchestra? Or well, that was with? by our woodwind quintet, Tantacaro. We are performing at Boston University Tangled Institute, where we have a residency now for 10 years. So every year... We have faculty recitals, so Venta Chiaro, we, we get there, we, you know, we teach for a month, and then we give recitals, so what you've heard was from our last recital in June. That was live on stage. Yeah, that was live on sounds, stage. Sounds great. Yeah, uh, do you ever get into the studio at all, like to actually record? Um, in the, in yeah, the we, we, we actually have done some little recordings. And, um, do you like doing that? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Um, actually, but before we hear your music, can you tell us about the BSO phone call? <laughs> <laughs> oh yes, I was uh, then entangled with teaching. Because I heard this, I remember at the <laughs> at the dinner in, in Vilnius. Yeah, so you know, just before that, to say BSO right, Boston Symphony Orchestra. So then I arrived to the United States to Boston, and I heard Boston Symphony Orchestra, and here I am. This it's a bit of flutist, you know, came from Lithuania, <laughs> and hearing these amazing flutists and this huge, gorgeously playing orchestra, and thinking, wow, right, these people, these are people who inspire me, right, practice and learn from them. Fast forward 10 years, <laughs> here I am yeah. in Tanglewood, it's the beauty I is about to end, and I get this phone call saying, hi, Ona, could you come in tomorrow to the rehearsal to play for flute in Mahler 9 symphony? <laughs> and I remember. Mahler 9, you said? Mahler 9, okay, yeah. yes. You know, it was one of those moments that you just say, is this really happening to <laughs> me? It's a real phone call, yeah. <laughs> yeah it was yeah. a real phone call, and of course I said yes, and... Uh, then I grabbed music, I practiced all night long, and then next morning I was sitting entangled next to the people that I adore so much. And how were they with you? To, I mean, was it oh, a nice Yes, they're so wonderful. Yeah. That, that's yeah. one thing that I'm so happy to see in Boston. All the flute professionals and, and teachers, they are so friendly and respectful, and that translates to their students as well. Mm. And that environment is just so beautiful to be in. So here I was on the stage, and I just felt blessed. Just one of those moments saying, well, I'm here. It was worth it, you know? Wow. <laughs> it, was, it was great. And then Andrews Nelson walks on the stage, and uh, of course I'm in awe. And yet I'm so proud and happy, right? Because he's from Latvia, and I'm from Lithuania. Oh, is he so <laughs> He's a neighbor. He's a neighbor. Yeah. What a... what a. It's like from, he's con- from Connecticut, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, that's the sizes we're talking about, right? Baltic yeah, countries. Right. So... Funny. No, so we were, here's rehearsal. We kind of played for the piece one time, and because it's a, a long symphony, you know the energy that that orchestra has. I don't even know the word for that. Mm. I j- just felt like 
after that, then I sat there and I played the them and I felt that energy. It's almost like such a rush. The way, you know, the control of that orchestra, but also the feelings that they can portray and everything. It was so strong that then I would listen the next time I, I heard them play on the radio. I started crying because mm. I could feel that now. I could really somehow inside of my body, I could I understand that strength of, of that energy that they, they produce on that stage. So That's great. It is great. And do you have a recording of... I don't. No, you don't no. have one? No. I wonder if someone does. I, I, mean, bet they they record, record. I bet they record everything there. Oh, they, you they could probably do. Get but you it. know, my, my part was so tiny there. It was. Yeah. It was. I'm sure you were the best one there. <laughs> oh well, thank you, but unfortunately not. <laughs> you were the best one there. And we picked. I don't know if you know about this podcast, but we we picked the best. You know, flutists in the. We only have the best of the yeah. best. Oh uh, well, um, then I'll give you a list of people you should invite yeah. to hear. Other That's a cool story. <laughs> other than co-hosts, we have the best of the best. I know, Chuck. Do you listen to rock music at all? Yeah, on the radio when I'm driving. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, are you into any bands? I'm just curious. No, man, I wish I, I couldn't. I, I no. She's in a quintet. I know. She's yeah, not it's, a band. It's I know, right? I know. <laughs> We're in a quintet. <laughs> We're in a quintet. <laughs> no, but we should have Ona. We, I mean, with with Ona's blessing, come and jam course, with us. We should ever come up and you do can a part. Improvise. We'll do. Oh, we'll do a nice part. We'll, uh-huh. we'll make it happen. Can you already see the like fear setting over in over my dead <laughs> body? We but. could do a Mahler number nine. <laughs> Oh my god! Yeah, we can put up a mile number nine. What is that? Your Boston accent again? Where I don't know that what that going? is. <laughs> That's so embarrassing. Um, Are you gonna delete this? Yes, we're gonna delete. Um, anything I say, delete he deletes there. anything I say. It's kind of an embarrassing thing yeah. in and of itself. Actually, um, I, make, I make him sound really high, like a like a dolphin. No, but you know what? I know we gotta probably wrap up, but you did tell me actually that you went to see fish. I did. You and like that's it? speaking of improv and rock and classical, because Trey Anastasio, who's one, who's the guy that plays the guitar. He grew up playing classical guitar, and a lot of those parts are actually derived from some classical scales, mm-hmm. uh, some of the older music they played. That's a whole other conversation. Yeah, it is indeed. <laughs> that's, that's Ona Part 2. Right. We'll do that uh, next week. Who knew? Right. <laughs> You're very charming. It's great to have you on. Thank uh, you. Thanks, for, thanks for being to be here. here. So much. Uh, what are you going to play for us? I'm going to play a little piece for you, which is by French composer Farou, of course, because, you know, French, France, all that, I I told you, right? The French are all about the flute. By the way, the the only two words I know are labas, is hello. Yes. And achu is thank you. Achu yums, thank you. Yums? Yums to you, thank you. It has been very, very fun evening. Oh, good. (laughs) And um, well, well, achu, it was, uh, it was great talking with you. So thank you.
That was beautiful. That was great. So that was pretty great. Many thanks to Ona for putting up with our terrible pronunciations, for the music, the conversation, and of course for the wonderful live performance. Check out Ona's website at onayonatita.com and also at ventochiaro.org to see where she is performing and for private instruction information. Go to our own website at abovethebasement.com where you can sign up for our newsletter, listen and subscribe to our podcast, like our Facebook page, follow us on Twitter, and look at all the nice pictures we post on Instagram. We are everywhere. On behalf of Ronnie and myself. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends. And remember, Boston music, like its history, is unique. Above the Basement Boston Music and Conversation is recorded at beautiful Woods Hill Table Restaurant in West Concord, Massachusetts. Woods Hill Table owns a farm in Bath, New Hampshire, where they raise their own meat. They offer a full raw bar and fresh fish caught off the coast of Massachusetts, and they even harvest their own maple syrup and honey for use in the restaurant. Local farms supply all their vegetables and grains, and Chef Charlie Foster uses international cooking techniques to create fantastic, seasonally-focused cuisine. Go to woodshilltable.com for reservations or call 978-369. 6300.